0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. And I'm Jay. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, Transformers Rise of the Beasts, the seventh live-action Transformers film. It serves as both a standalone sequel to Bumblebee and a prequel to Transformers. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. Who would have thought
1: Seven live action Transformers movies by now.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that is that is a lot. And I've got to be honest, until Bumblebee, I was losing interest in, in the Bay film. So when that came out in 2018 in the a 80s setting, I was excited going in. That film really delivered. And then, when they were talking about this movie having a 90s setting, I thought, oh, I do like that.
1: Yeah, so do I. I'm just, it just seems like a strange thing because you'd set it in the 80s. Part of the reason for that was so when you're going with your Gen 1 Transformers, it's set in the decade from which the vehicles they're supposed to be are from. And you have your human characters, and you've got Haley Steinfeld, you've got John Cena, uh, and you've got, the guy whose name I always forget, who's I think he was in Dungeons and Dragons as like the wizard. Uh, and then your direct sequel, ignore them, jump a decade forward. But, eh, like, I mean, that's someone who this is someone who's a massive 90s fan and he keeps clamoring for more 90s content. It's strange for me to be like, I could have used a little more, more 80s in my 90s film, but uh, that was my initial thought of when this was announced. Like, wait, why are you skipping? away from what you had just uh followed on. But that being said, seven of these bumblebee of which is un- undoubtedly the best. Oh by uh, far. And then you come in with this follow up. And nineties was it ninety four, I think the movie set in. Um and it makes sense because that is also the era from which the Beast Machines ca- Beast Wars cartoon was airing um because it was cgi uh which did not exist in the 80s
0: <laughs> you know we we haven't actually reviewed transformers together on the podcast the last episode i put out was a review of the transformers animated movie i believe 1986 yeah and i'd watched that for the first time I was never a Transformers kid growing up. I had some toys, like most people did. I watched the Bay movies. The first one started off decent. And again, I think they lost their way a little bit. They got bigger. They looked expensive. But I was just losing interest. But again, I've never been a big Transformers guy. And we've never really talked about Transformers. So what about yourself?
1: I was a huge Transformers nerd as a kid, right? Interesting. Uh, right from the get go, uh, me and my older brother we had them, including the uh, the Headmasters. We had Ape Face. I'll never forget. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's knocking around in my toy boxes right now. Uh, the Headmasters, Target Masters, all the iterations. Watched the movie. Was a fan of Hot Rod, then come Rodimus and uh, Ultra Magnus, and all of them like. I, I I know them quite well. Um, nowhere near as well as I used to. But it's one of those things that I watched Beast Wars. I think, maybe it was Beast Machines, then Beast Wars, because I, I watched all of it right up until these guys, because it started off like they're on Earth, and that's when they got their animal forms. And then they ended up back on Cybertron, but it was run by Megatron, who was going for technological supremacy, and he's, like, infected with like uh, techno-organic material, and he was trying to purge himself into a purely mechanical body. And they were trying to go the other way of, like, delivering technological organic material to the rest of the Transformers. Uh, And all the way until it ended. And then whenever it went into its next iteration, that's when I was out. So I watched it for a long time. So I still have massive... Fond memories of all of this stuff. So even these guys like Optimus Primal and Air Razor and uh, and cheetor I know these characters because I watched two different cartoon series with them. Um, it's just so I will always have that nostalgia for them, regardless of what they are. I stopped buying the toys in the early 90s after I had my Optimus Prime and my Starscream. Uh and I've never really read the comic books, funnily enough. Um, oh, the odd crossover that was like a Transformers, Star Trek, or like or, or some of the other crossovers they've done, but never an actual Transformers comic book.
0: Same here. They did a crossover with Ghostbusters. Yep, Ectotron, I believe, was the <laughs> the Ecto one that transformed and became, uh, and became a transformer. So outside of that yeah I've not read Transformers comics but in the 80s Ghostbusters Master of the Universe Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles you know the obvious ones but Transformers yeah, it was never it was never one for me and you watched this film before we decided we were going to review it for the podcast and you did say something along the lines of the best one since Bumblebee
1: Yeah because I think my, my the top 3 are uh, definitely Bumblebee, this, and the original Transformers film. I don't wow. know in uh, Bumblebee number one, I don't know what order I'd put this and the original. It's hard because having watched most of them, not all of them, uh, they tend to have this issue. Bumblebee didn't have this issue, and the original Transformers didn't have this issue, but almost all of the rest of them, this one kind of included, um has kind of like t- colorings of it which is a normal film and or any film tv show you have your protagonists and your antagonists and you cut between both because they're in separate locations they might run into each other as they're going for similar or cross or like antithetical goals and they kind of crisscross each other's paths but once it, you, you have your conflict and you have a little fight or whatever, one goes one way, one goes another, and they kind of come back again in your second act and come back again for the finale. Transformers movies, they run into each other, and it's like no matter where they go, the other guys are there as well. Like So they're moving like a horde, which makes it really hard to follow narratively because it all bleeds together because they never separated. And that's a big problem with live-action Transformers movies. I said it's not as bad in the best three. In fact, it's not in Bumblebee at all. I don't think it was in the first Michael Bay Transformers either. There the are a little bit one, of colouring of it here. The first
0: one is a good film. And yeah, Bumblebee, I agree, is is the best. But again, like so we talked about reviewing this for the podcast. I didn't realise you're this big Transformers guy. <laughs> so when you were like, speaking highly about Rise of the Beast, I got a bit excited, especially on the back of watching and loving Bumblebee. And this did feel more like those other ones, but maybe more like one of the earlier Bay ones. I've seen all of them. The last night, that's a shocker.
1: Yes, yeah. I think
0: the biggest one that they did, there's Merlin, Nazis. They threw... Everything oh, so the king of ground table. but what they do that the thing that i really didn't like about that one is seen it not every scene but it almost feels like scene to scene depending on what is happening bay was changing the aspect ratio and i found it mm. very distracting it's like full screen widescreen and it was just you know, and even if you just I think there was like a scene where characters were just talking indoors, but he was like zooming in for dramatic effect and the aspect ratio kept changing. I'm yeah. like, oh, this is this is a bit of a bit of a shocker. But this movie, following the critical and commercial success of Bumblebee, Paramount Pictures and Hasbro announced in a sequel in early 2019 in November 2010. Stephen Capel Jr. was hired as director for the film. By 2021, Anthony Ramos and Dominique Fishback were cast in the lead human roles. In details for the film were revealed that summer in a virtual event held by Paramount. Michael Bay, who directed the first five live-action Transformers films and produced Bumblebee, once again serves as producer. The film received mixed reviews from critics and has currently grossed $429 million worldwide against a production budget of anywhere between 195 and $200 million. It is considered a box office disappointment and is the lowest grossing installment in the franchise. But it's Transformers. Nothing can slow this franchise down. There's two sequels currently in development. While an animated prequel set on Cybertron, Transformers 1 is scheduled to be released on September 13th, 2024. And if you've not heard about Transformers 1, that's the one where they've cast Chris Hemsworth as Optimus Prime. So just to give you an idea (laughs) of what that film's going to be like, I think Scarlett Johansson's in there. Keegan-Michael Key. He's in there. There's it's people that I like. But I don't know about Transformers. I mean, go back to the cartoon. All the Bay movies, this movie, Optimus Prime, is Peter Cullen. If they're going to yeah. try and say they've got a Hemsworth because they want Optimus Prime to be younger, he's a machine. No.
1: <laughs> he's a machine, A. B, if you're going to change him to another actor... Choose someone uh, not even necessarily older, just someone with authority in their voice. Chris Hemsworth has Thor voice or Aussie voice. He doesn't really have another one. Um, and neither of them, I would say, are particularly authoritative. He's the leader of the Autobots, which is why Peter Cullen, Peter, it's always been him. It's just massively dis thing wishable from anyone else the only way you could go is would be to go like uh keith david or uh, someone else that he'll actually got for this for optimus primal ron perlman you want to grab like a deep gravelly voice something with like is it like authority um sylvester stallone would be a better choice like
0: (laughs) i know but you still if you've still got peter cullen available
1: Yeah, why you wouldn't use him doesn't make any sense.
0: So that's obviously a separate thing that they're doing. It's going to be fully animated, which I'm guessing is going to be the first time since 1986 that they've done that. So we're still going to get sequels to the films i are made already in live action. But yeah, I, I thought it was an odd choice. Chris Hemsworth, Optimus Prime. Yeah.
1: The funny thing is... The prequel movie of them on Cybertron is the one that people have been asking from the get-go in live action. They don't want an animated version of it. We got it. It was called the cartoon. It was called the 1986 movie. We want it in live action, and we want Peter Cullen, and we want the other voice actors that they've always had for the characters. Yeah. Like, I don't Absolutely. know what what's so hard, why they can't get this through their heads. It's, it's... so
0: simple. It's a weird choice. You know, the 86 movie, the animated series was called Transformers. So when they got to putting a title together for the 86 movie, the full title is The Transformers, the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> I mean, just call it The Transformers movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so stupid. Yeah, it is what it is. It's uh it's a toy dep- a company trying to come up with a movie title.
0: <laughs> the director of this movie, Stephen Cappell Jr, his credits include The Land which came out in 2016. I believe that was his directorial debut and Creed 2. There you go, you mentioned Sylvester Stallone. Creed 2 in 2000 yeah. 2000- 18, which ended up being the last Rocky film with Stallone. So I knew him from Creed 2, And on the back of that, he was getting this big budget Transformers movie.
1: Yeah. And I think he's done a decent job. Um, Creed 2 showed he could do action fight sequences, which is important. Uh, he could handle... And intellectual property being a rocky film, um, and he's done a fair job of this. I say fair because you know the people you're weighing him against are uh Michael Bay and the guy who did Bumblebee, which why he didn't get him back, I have no idea.
0: Travis not
1: really, apparently, yeah, don't
0: <laughs> they were looking at him at one time, and there was even talks of Haley Steinfeld coming back and reprising her role but they obviously decided to go in a different direction so we've got a different director and the humans I mean people watch these movies for the Transformers but you're also going to have human characters we've got Anthony Ramos as Noah Diaz an ex-military electronics expert who lives with his family in Brooklyn trying to support them and this guy musical background whether it be Hamilton in the Heights, that's what he'd done previously. So this is a little bit different for him as well. But I thought he did a good job. I mean, I haven't seen Hamilton. I haven't seen in the Heights. So this movie was my introduction to him.
1: Yeah, same. And um, he also got to do something no one else in the human characters had done in any of the other movies. He got to essentially beard transformer but this was again going all the way back to the cartoon in the 80s they had the uh the kid whose name was like chip or something in a battle he'd gotten injured and the the uh, Autobots did give him an exo suit look, which looks spookily like the suit uh anthony ramos wears in this near the end a little weird that he's kind of given it to out of the corpse of another guy but let, let's <laughs> uh, not dwell on the uh, the morals of it so I was appreciative of that, um, and because yeah, every other guy was either a a Mark Wahlberg or, or um, Shia LaBeouf type, or they were military guys. That's all of the other humans in these movies. that kind of fit in one of those two roles, you're the you're the point of view character of like a good human, just uh, who's just a normal person who's happened to run across Transformers, or you're a military guy. Those are the only, or government agent. Those are the only jobs so this was slightly different and he actually got to do something believable because this is a, an army guy A transformer just shoots in your general direction you die at least but he had do. like but he's wearing armor like yeah. transformer body armor
0: i mean the comparisons there that i think a lot of people made to iron man but you've said it moving in the 80s we'd already yeah. seen that it's already transformers cannons. we have seen that before
1: yeah, Would and he, that's what the headmasters please. and uh, target masters are. They get hu- organics, like whether they are aliens or humans, to be like another separate little robot that was part of the bigger robot. Yeah, that did something. Like target masters were the the weapons, like a, a, a person who caught an exoskeleton or put, put their consciousness put into the like a robot body that became the weapons that could shoot better because they had better aim. Or the headmasters, I can't remember the deal with them. They just remember having one. But it was like a separate control thing or some something. I don't know.
0: Yeah, but, but him. So yeah, him this is
1: the, this is canon stuff.
0: <laughs> it is canon stuff. But him having the exo suit, like, it is that thing where somebody gets a weapon or an exo suit for the first time, and all of a sudden they can use it. They're very competent, <laughs> and you know, they're, yeah. and they're saving the day and all yeah. of that. But uh, you yeah, know, at least his
1: background is ex military,
0: and that is true.
1: We we said it when we were watching the movie. We're like. Oh, it's Mega Man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, because it's the '90s, there is some '90s references. I thought maybe there would have been more, but we do get references to like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. His younger brothers wearing a Power Rangers T-shirt, and some other references. But one is an odd one. They reference Marky Mark and saying that yeah. he might be stopping his music career and become, you know, becoming an actor. Well, Mark Wahlberg is already in the Transformers franchise because this movie is a prequel, and he plays the character Cade Yeager. So, yeah. <laughs> so that was an odd thing for them to for them to reference. You know the moment where Bumblebee dies. Yeah, I mean, come on, we all know. That, I mean, this is a prequel.
1: We're we know what, that.
0: We know what happens next.
1: We see saw the trailer where he did a very specific sequence. Which is from the final battle, so yeah, like you said, it's fine. It's a prequel. To in the trailer, you see him doing like a specific battle thing, which was in the trailer, uh, and also I think maybe halfway through the movie, maybe towards the end of the second act, they say about oh wow, there's uh, energy on everywhere. Oh, you yeah, know, it can be used to like. Res-. I'm like oh, so that's how they bring back Bumblebee. At yeah. no point did I think, oh my God, they killed him. I'm like, oh, how? They... so what bull crap do they use to resurrect him? Oh, there it is. There's the thing. There's the McGuffin.
0: But again, 2007, we all watched Transformers. Bumblebee, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> so yeah. watching this movie be, be a prequel. But then, you know, there's times where you're thinking, but is it or are they doing something... Separate because, I mean, Bumblebee didn't have Transformers in the title. This one does. And again, going with the 90s setting, it's before the noughties when that first movie came out. But if there's any doubt that this is the same canon, you've got the score. Now, the composer on this film is John H bon Temps. So he is the music director for the 2016 skateboarding-focused drama film, The Land, so the one I mentioned before, the director of this film, his directorial debut. But there's bits of this score that references tracks written by Steve Jablonsky for Transformers, namely Arrival to Earth and No Sacrifice, No Victory. And you also get a bit of the Unicron medley from the transformers movie in 86 which i thought was pretty cool but the yeah. the score like the autobots theme that jablonski used in that first transformers film was so cool and here it is in this movie so it is, it is it's 100 percent. like there's no doubt like, this is this is all canon
1: yeah i do feel like hasbro maybe are in two minds. So they want to keep their options open that they can always tie it back into the first Transformers movie in, in case they never get to rewriting those, like doing almost like a, we've caught back up to ourselves, but this is how we want it to look now going forward, because we've already introduced Unicron. He's not earth. Like we made out in the last Transformers movie. Um, Like, you know, we got to do some like house cleaning kind of thing. Or if they want to go into a completely different thing with a new um, way moving forward, and like they, it, it's interesting. I understand why they're doing it because they don't want to piss off fans who may have grown up on the original Michael Bay movies. But you've got to establish yourself sooner or later.
0: Don't um, say that, Jay. That makes me feel old. Saying yeah. growing up on a movie that came out in two thousand and seven. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that makes but me feel see, old. You know, yeah, I know, but you know, how many Spider-Man reboots have we had since then?
0: Yeah, I mean that is that is fair. But for me, when it comes to a score, that, that cements it. So that really locked it in for me. And that that is a good theme that Jablonski did for, for that film. So it was uh, it was nice hearing it again, but but it was that moment I'm like, oh okay, it's absolutely set within that continuity. We with Optimus, we see something different in this film. He removed his mask, I believe, for the first time in live action, and you actually see his face and what the intent was there was to have Optimus's face, although machine, to resemble Peter Cullen.
1: Yeah, that's cool, um, because that was always like a a thing that you know the cartoon they only have one face, and it was like usually the face shield, so. Uh, and only a few of the, and so the characters who had lips talked like normal, and the characters had face shields like Optimus or Soundwave, they just had the the little face covering like ninja types shield go up and down as they talked which, for some reason, they're like no, you need to be able to see the characters' emotions that was the thing that Michael Bay came up with you don't know, you really don't uh, Darth Vader, his face doesn't move at all Yeah, like, uh Din Djarin the Mandalorian there are plenty of masked characters who you never see their facial expressions spider-man like <laughs> all you need is like the comic book his eye thingies but he even the to his Maguire, eyes, yeah. yeah but even toby Maguire and uh to- uh the british
0: guy andrew garfield
1: andrew garfield that's him
0: but you could also uh, they... be talking about tom holland there's a lot of british yeah. spider Man.
1: Yeah, yeah. you know, their, their face masks didn't have emotion, and it works. Well, that's one of the reasons they kept taking their face masks off in those movies, because, oh, you need to be able to see their faces. You don't. It's done through voice work. That's what cartoons do. That's yeah. what Peter Cullen can do, and all these other voice guys you get, like, you know, part of the list, John DiMaggio, uh, David Sobolov, like, they, they know to get voice actors to do voice actor work. Like, this, it's just a no-brainer. So, like, movie studios, please stop thinking we need to see a character's face for them to show off emotion.
0: Well, we get it. that first Judge <laughs> Dredd movie with Sylvester Stallone. He yeah. kept taking his helmet off. Carl yeah, Urban. We paid
1: for Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> We're going to see Sylvester Stallone, damn it.
0: Yeah, but when we got Dredd with Carl Urban, for the most part, I think in the opening you saw him take his mask off from behind. You didn't actually see... See his face. Yeah, his
1: face was obscured because it's a big thing in the comics. You never see his face. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, you don't see you see Christian Bale whipping his headgear off all the time. You could see his mouth. Yeah, that's enough. Like the actors, you should trust them to be talented enough to portray with whatever they've got going, uh, the emotion of a scene. Because people get it. Body language is 90% of uh, Uh, communication after all absolutely moving the other actors uh, Dominic Fish back uh, Eleanor Wallace I found her character she was good I like the fact that they're both from like Brooklyn and that that was like what connected the two of them other than the fact that they had randomly ended up in this situation I found her character though completely unbelievable that she was just an assistant or like a someone who worked in the archives of the library or the museum, but had yeah. all of yeah. the knowledge in multiple different disciplines, not just uh, paleontology, but uh, prehistoric history. Well, she's uh, a Mayan back. Like, yeah, people don't an, have, they, they specialize in one area. They specialize in ancient Egypt or ancient she's Rome. She's an artifact
0: researcher, very, very broad. And then I just say she works as an intern at the museum I mean they did to an incompetent
1: boss, like it just that takes all
0: the glory. But they didn't want to have. I mean, again, like it's a Transformers movie. You're always gonna have human characters, but if they can put as many different characteristics in one human, like we're getting with this character, they're gonna do it because you've already got however many Transformers running around, and they only want a certain amount of humans, and she was the one that just happens to have All the information.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I get it. And also it's in the 90s, so it's pre-internet, so they couldn't just Google it. Uh, which is another funny thing. Yeah, they don't have mobile phones, so they have these like cheap, like uh walkie-talkies, but are somehow reaching from one side of the planet to the other. Transformers movie. I don't think too much into it, but I'm like, that's how they got around this thing that normally they'd be able to write. They have a mobile phone, they just called the guy.
0: I mean, this is a movie about living alien machines. You've just got to go with, go with the logic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah they, the they've
1: boosted the signal somehow. They don't think about how they, they did it. They, they're all right. Okay, they're right. They make it. It's all right. It's cool. um But yeah, these are the things that I'm like. Someone must have pointed out during the writing process. Ah, uh, you know we're set in the '90s, right? Like pre-mobile phone. <laughs> how are they communicating over distance? Oh crap! Yeah. Uh, Military of radios, they, they got radios. It's, it's fine. It's fine. It's all right. It's cool.
0: You know, there is more things to talk about, but did you know how this movie was going to end and that it was setting up a potential crossover? Because this that... caught me <laughs> by surprise.
1: Yeah, it caught me by surprise, and it shouldn't have because it's something they should have done back in 2007 when we had the first one. You're trying to do a cinematic universe. Why did it take you until your seventh movie to introduce another one of your own franchises?
0: Well, apparently, so when we got G.I. Joe, we're talking about G.I. Joe. I'm I'm hoping if you're listening to this, yeah. year, <laughs> we're not just spoiling everything. You have watched the movie. So, okay. At the end of the movie, we've got Michael Kelly as Agent Burke, who is an undercover recruiter for G.I. Joe. We get to see the card. We get to see the G.I. Joe logo. but. Th- This film, it features the first full live action crossover between Transformers and G.I. Joe. But apparently, in 2009, when they released The Rise of Cobra, the idea is that it was going to be in the same universe and then setting up an actual crossover, which, like you say, seven films for Transformers, they've finally done it. And the idea is to do something in the vein of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But until this film, yeah, they didn't do, didn't do anything. But in the animated series, so Transformers, the cartoon in 84, I think maybe a couple of seasons in, they did an episode titled Only Human, and that was a crossover. So they've done it before yeah. with animation, but not in live action. But yeah, I honestly think you had a better time with this movie than I did but I was enjoying <laughs> things, but this was a big what moment as I was <laughs> watching it, like, all of a sudden, because that's not what I thought. I thought it was going to be, you know, maybe, you know, something to do with the John Toro character or just yeah. something. I thought that's where that's where the movie was going, but no, G.I. Joe. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I saw it from a mate, and like when that finally came out, like when they said that, we expected to do the same thing. It was going to be that secret division that has the underwear and that uh, and stuff, uh, Section Eight or whatever they called it. Uh, and then when they said GI Joe, both of us were like, "Oh, finally!" Like you've got a toy universe for which you have a perfect human, like special forces thing. Why did it take you so long? Um, but yeah, uh, we should probably get into. The people who played the Transformers other than Peter Cullen. Uh, since we're getting here, uh the number one, Pete Davidson, as Mirage, the Porsche. Uh I didn't recognize it was him. I just Me thought, neither oh yeah. <laughs> Whoever this is, that fits with the the character they're using. I'm like, good job. Um, so well done, Pete Davidson, to not have a such a recognizable voice or doing such uh, doing a specific voice, I didn't tie to you. Um Michelle Yao though as razor the uh the main the main uh primal that we saw for the this the show, the film. Uh you can't mistake her voice. I've watched a lot of Star Trek, watched a lot of stuff with Michelle Yao. As soon as uh, uh they her she opened her mouth. I'm like, Michelle Yao. Yeah, that's cool.
0: I um, picked her I picked her straight away, but like you though, Pete Davidson, yeah, I didn't recognize his voice. At all, but when he was describing his approach to voicing Mirage, he said it was a combination of Jim Carrey's The Mask and Bugs Bunny. So that's kind that of sense. what he's going <laughs> yeah. for. Actually makes but, a
1: lot of sense.
0: But it it did work though. I mean, I've got to be honest. Even though it's live action, I do like it when they use voice actors. And I know John DiMaggio is in here and, the, and other voice actors as well. Instead of just going for you know big stars but i do think davidson did a good job even though i didn't yeah. notice him
1: yeah um and also uh, peter dinklage as the main villain scourge didn't put, put his name there either like i don't know if it's because it's been a while since watched game of thrones um but yeah i just there's the villain i'm like mm, name's, this voice is somewhat familiar uh he's just being outright villain like uh you know main villain main ba- bad boss number one kind of an underboss he's serving unicron trying to get the bits and bobs to drag unicron to earth same they'd already done the uh the honest trailer about this and that was one of the things they brought up as well they need a thing a, fo- a doodad that the bad guys are after and what planet could we- it's us it's always us it is always Earth. Like if ever you have a question of what, where this is, thing is getting hidden, it's on Earth. Everything's on Earth. I'm like, yeah, that's that's absolutely 100 percent the case.
0: You know, have you lines, have you seen that meme that's going around? And it's Planet Earth, but the only land is America, and it's and it says something along the lines of "This is what aliens see."
1: <laughs> I haven't seen the meme, but more uh, often
0: than not, it's America the alien invasion that's where that's where it's gonna be yeah um
1: but yeah it's it is what it is i mean again this is a it's based off a toy line you've got to set it somewhere you've got to set people somewhere and like in the 90s like where are you gonna have even though you've got alien robots how do the humans get involved unfortunately it has to be earth until if you actually do another proper sequel maybe you can have the uh the transformers move the humans with them to where they go to find a thing but we'll see we'll see uh we also have Lisa koshi as RC the lady transformer uh from the 80s cartoon um who I was I was nice to see her I was like hey RC finally you thought about bringing in an uh, a lady transformer other than Michelle Yao, of course but yeah that took a while to get to. Like so and she did a great job. I'm not familiar with the the actress but
0: no but she definitely... I, I'm familiar with the Transformer though. That I recognize that Transformer. <laughs> so there you go.
1: Yeah. Yeah and she looked exactly like she does off the cartoon which I also
0: really appreciated. You know I've just seen in my notes when we're talking about the exo suits earlier. You yeah. know first appearing in the 86 movie. It was in the final battle, Mirage transforms into armor for Noah in the movie or in this movie. But in the cartoon, the exosuits were worn by Spike and Daniel Whitwicky. There you go. <laughs> I yeah. noticed that earlier Spike, that's the name's thought. Yeah. I will not remember that. So I'm glad that I took a note of it. But yeah, there's some great performances in here as the Transformers mentioned Ron Perlman as Optimus Primal. Until this film, I just thought it was Optimus Prime, but like a different version. I didn't realise it was a different character, and that there's always been a Prime, and it's like it's yeah. a mantle that he's that he's passed on, which I thought yeah. was um, thought was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, and they actually kept in uh, for the Transformers like hardcores. Beast machines was set with, was in the future, but they were sent back to prehistoric Earth. So There's actually an episode where they came across the arc from the Transformers 1984 cartoon that had the autobots in it. And they use and they're like, oh crap. And so they yeah. So when they're like, I'm from the past, but from your future, like that's all canon from the cartoon. So they actually kept it in this movie. So that was nice to nice to keep see. But ratings. If we're going to talk ratings, uh, we'll start with you. Where does this place?
0: I've got to be honest. I was a little bit disappointed with this movie. I think it's because of how much I loved watching Bumblebee. And I've gone back and rewatched that more than any other Transformers movie. There is things to like about this. But when you've got the big third act battle and all the Transformers are fighting, and I get it, it's CG, it has to be. It might as well have been a cartoon. Yeah. Oh, but you know what? I mean, I would recommend it. So I'm going to come in at a three out of five. What about yourself?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm going to come in at a three and a half out of five. If you're a Transformers fan, I'd push that up to a four, especially giving the... The live action movies but three and a half it's it's a, it's a competent movie it's not a great movie so take it as you will um it's unfortunately against some really stiff competition at the cinema so i mean there are other things on the list right now i'd watch over this unfortunately
0: okay that's it for our episode all about transformers rise of the beast
1: If you'd like to contact us about this episode or suggest a topic for an upcoming episode, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast.
0: You've been listening to Luke and Jay, the guys from Sounds Like Comics. See you soon.